I've got a message that God put on my heart, actually almost around because of the song that we've just sung, that God is in the middle. Um, and so just by way of introduction, you know what, I think that every household can verify, can, can agree with me, that as soon as Remembrance Sunday, Remembrance Day is over, we put the poppies away and out comes the Christmas tree. I mean, you know, this is just our household, but can you, can you confirm that, you know? But that, that's when the season of preparation and expectation actually starts, isn't it? And, um, and I think every household discusses things like this, like what are our plans for this year? What are we, what are we gonna, where are we gonna spend Christmas Day? Who are we gonna spend it with? What are we gonna buy them? What gifts are we gonna buy them? What gifts are they going to buy us, you know? And, and what food should we serve? I mean, the list just goes on and on, isn't it? The season of preparation and expectation. And in some more traditional churches, this season is known as Advent. And Advent has four themes. And the four themes of Advent are hope, peace, joy, and love. And all throughout Christmas, you know, Christmas cards will say joy, or they'll put on scriptures that say joy to the world, or they'll have a picture of a dove and be peace. But those four themes of, of um, Advent are prevalent throughout the season in the build-up to Christmas. But Advent, the word Advent doesn't actually appear in the Bible. It, it's, it's just not, it's not there. And Advent, the word Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means coming or arrival. And so the thinking behind Advent is that we are in a period of waiting or preparation to celebrate the coming, or as, in, as Christians, we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. And as Christians, we celebrate two Advents, two comings. The first coming is what we're going to be celebrating now over Christmas time, was when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. That was the first coming of Jesus Christ. And the second coming is the hope and the belief in every believer that Jesus Christ is coming back for his bride and that he will establish a new heaven and a new earth. And this is every Christian's belief, hope and belief that Jesus is going to come back, and that's called the second coming. But actually, in reality, I believe there's a third coming. There is a third one. And um, this is when, and it's probably the most important one to all of us as individuals, it's when we invite Jesus Christ into our own lives. That's when Jesus comes into our life, when we invite him in. Jesus doesn't force his way in, we invite him in. And so when we invite him, him, him in, that is like the third coming of Jesus Christ. And that is, I'd say, one of the most important for us as individuals. So Advent is a season of preparation, expectation, and one of its themes is hope. How many of us need hope in our lives? My word, I can put up both hands. That's everybody. We all need hope. Romans chapter 5 says that hope does not disappoint. Hope does not disappoint. In fact, listen to what the passion says. I like this. It says, this hope, this Bible hope 
that God gives us is not a disappointing fantasy. It's, this hope, Bible hope, is not a disappointing fantasy. It's not just, we're not away with the fairies here, okay? This is God's, this is biblical hope. Because we can now experience the endless love of God cascading into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. That is such a beautiful scripture. The love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. We, because the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts, we can have this biblical hope. It is not a disappointing fantasy. I forgot to press the start button. Sorry, never mind. Hebrews chapter 11, well-known scripture, says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen. Faith is now. It says, now faith is. Just hold it up there a little, Johnny. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. So that's what establishes our hope, is faith. Faith is now. Hope is for the future. Jeremiah 29, 11. Loads of scriptures today, okay, people? Jeremiah 29, 11. God says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. So faith is for now, but hope is for the future. So if hope is for the future, hope isn't for now, faith is for now, that means there's going to be a certain amount of waiting. There's going to be a certain amount of waiting. Hope always includes waiting. And that's the title of my message, The Waiting. It's not about Advent, it's about the waiting. Romans 8, 24, 25 says, for we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? I mean, if you can see it, you don't need to hope for it, right? You've got it. Why do you hope for what one sees? For if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. I like those words. We eagerly wait for it with perseverance. So hope includes not only waiting, but perseverance as well. So how we wait matters. And with this in mind, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 1. And Okay, I know there's a lot of scriptures, but I promise you I'm getting somewhere. Okay, I'm just laying a foundation here. But Matthew chapter 1 speaks about the genealogy of Jesus Christ. If you go to the first book of the New Testament, it's the book of Matthew. And it's the genealogy, in other words, the lineage of Jesus Christ. And we're going to read a few, few verses here. It says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And here we go. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar, Peros begot Hezron and Hezron begot Ram, Ram begot Abinadab, Abinadab begot Nashon and Nashon begot Salmon. Do you get the point? Do you get the gist? Okay, Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab, Boaz begot Obed by Ruth, Obed begot Jesse and Jesse begot David the king. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Oh, okay. And then 
We go on for another 10 verses. Begot, begot, begot. This one begot this one, and this one begot this one. And it's like, well, I remember before I got saved, I remember reading this thinking, what, is, what does it mean to begot? What's that mean? Does it sound forgot or no? Begot. They begot. They, they produced these, this, this, this genealogy. And he goes on for another 10 verses talking about this one begot this one. And then we go drop down into verse 17 of Matthew chapter 1. And it says, so all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations. And from the captivity in Babylon until the Christ are 14 generations. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. So it goes through 17 or 18 verses speaking about the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Then eventually he gets to it, he says, now the birth of Jesus Christ is as follows, and we know the account. We'll, we'll cover some of that next week about the actual account. But I don't believe that there's anything magical or mystical or significant about the number 14. You know, it spoke about there were 14 generations from Abraham to David. There were 14 generations from David to Babylon. There were 14 generations of... So I think sometimes with numerology, people get a little bit too caught up in detail. All I know is that it's 14 times 3. There's 42 generations that have taken place from Abraham to the birth of Jesus Christ. 42 generations. That is equivalent to 18 centuries. 18 centuries. It's about 2,000 years that we're talking about. Where we see, when we read 17 verses, that's 2,000 years. Bam, there we go. But it's, what I'm actually trying to say is that that's a long wait. That's a long wait. It's a long time to wait. 18 centuries. I mean, how many of us have had a promise from God and we waited two days? It's like, Lord, when are you, when's this promise going to fulfillment? There's a lot of hoping and there's a lot of perseverance that's going on in those 18 centuries. And you know what, Matthew 1, where we read Abraham begot this one and he begot that one, those six verses that we read, that was a period of a thousand years. You know, so we, we need to slow down a little bit when we do read the Bible, get a little bit of understanding. But what I love about what I'm trying to say, the point I'm trying to get to, is that the genealogy of Jesus Christ points back to Abraham. He doesn't say that Jesus came from Adam. The genealogy of Jesus points back to Abraham. Jesus is not of the seed of Adam. He's not of the seed of Adam. There was no sin in him. Jesus was the spotless Lamb of God. There was no sin in Jesus. Adam was the first man, and he was the federal head of mankind. And when he fell in the garden, when he took off that apple, when he fell, he took the whole world with him. Everyone born of Adam, everyone born of his seed, inherited the nature of Adam. That's you and me and everybody else, but not Jesus. Jesus, his genealogy starts with Abraham. And it's so important. Jesus was the seed of promise. He was the seed of promise. 
So he's not the seed of Abraham and he's not the seed of Adam. He is the seed of promise. He is not, Jesus is actually known as the last Adam. You can read about it in 1 Corinthians 15. So the point is we either in Adam or we're in Christ. The last Adam, Jesus, the Bible says, is the life-giving spirit. So, Jesus is not the descendant of any man, but God traces his lineage back to Abraham, and, and, and which is related to two great covenants. This is quite, quite in-depth, but I, I promise you I'm getting somewhere. Okay, it's about waiting. It's, it's, it's so important that God is faithful, that we see that God is faithful. But God promises Abraham in um, Genesis chapter 12, he says to Abraham, he says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless you, I will bless those who bless you, and I'll curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God promises Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 that he's going to be a great nation. But he was, he was childless. So it was almost, but he gave him a promise. And as a result of this promise, Isaac was born. Abraham's son Isaac was born. Isaac was a result of the promise of God that God made to him at, as part of the Abrahamic covenant. There are two covenants in the Old Testament that are of significance, the Abrahamic and the Davidic, Davidic covenants. But it was through those covenants that the Messiah was promised. So in, he's the son, Jesus is the son who was given to us by promise. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. So God had promised Abraham at the age of 75 that he was going to be the father of, an, of a multitude, when at the age of 75 he had no children. So God had given him this promise. And so as a result of that promise, 25 years later, the Bible says that Abraham, was his body was as good as dead. He was 100 years old. His wife, Sarah, was past menopause. She, she, couldn't, she was past childbearing, yet they, she gave birth to Isaac. So that promise was fulfilled into Abraham's life. And if we look at Hebrews chapter 6, Verse 13, it says, when God made a promise to Abraham, hey, you haven't got Hebrews 6? Oh, okay. Okay, verses 13 to 15, doesn't matter. Just write it down, go and read it. I'll read it, it says, for when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. You know, God swears by himself, this, he promises this, he says, surely blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply. In other words, surely, most certainly, most definitely, I'm going to bless you. Most definitely, I'm going to multiply you. And so, after Abraham had patiently endured, he, in, he obtained the promise. So within this, God's got a part to play, and Abraham had a part to play. God's part was God made a covenant with Abraham that God himself would provide an heir through the lineage. And God is true to his word. 
He proves his righteousness. He proves his faithfulness. He always keeps his word. All of his promises, we know the song that we sing it so frequently, all of his promises are yes and amen in Christ, regardless of how long it takes. God is faithful. That's God's part. He makes a covenant, he gives a promise, and he performs it. Abraham's part, in we, you can read about it in Romans chapter 4, he says, he, contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations. Abraham had hope. He believed that what God said, what God had promised, he believed that God would fulfill it. So Abraham's part was he didn't waver. He didn't give up. He patiently endured. He didn't give up hope. So even when in the natural things looked bad, he still believed God. He trusted God. He didn't look at the natural circumstances. You know, I don't know what you're facing in your life right now. Don't look to the natural circumstances. Don't look to what... We do need to take advice and counsel from the government. I'm not saying anything like that. But sometimes when we are faced with, with stuff in our lives, we think this is bigger than God's word. Don't. Go to God's word. Get a promise from him and start standing on, the, on God's word. Patiently endure. Patiently endure. He, Abraham didn't look at the barrenness of Sarah's womb. He didn't waver. He didn't consider his own body, which was already dead, basically. Certain parts of Abraham's life had shut down. Do you get what I mean? Okay, they were just not functioning anymore. And so, but he didn't look at that. He didn't look at that. Instead, he knows God will perform his word. God has promised, and therefore he will deliver. You know, God's plans aren't done on a whim. He doesn't just sort of oh, I think I'll change my mind, I'll just do this, I'll just do that. No, God is so patient. From the promise of Jesus to the fulfillment, 18 centuries, that shows God's patience. You know, he's not in a hurry. I wish he was at times, but he's not in a hurry. He'll take his time. And we can read about it in 2 Peter 3, verses 8 and 9. It says, but beloved, do not forget this one thing that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us. So with the Lord, a thousand years is as a day. So those two thousand years were like two days to God. But the guys are going through it. You know, they're like, where's the Messiah? Where's the Messiah? But they just knew, just believe God, just trust God, hold on to his promises. So what did they actually do in that time, in those two centuries, in 18 centuries, in those 2,000 years? They continued to live. They lived their lives. You know, sometimes they had to go to war. The Ecclesiastes says that there's a season for everything. There's a season for, there's a season for peace, there's a season for war, there's a season for love, there's a season for hate. They, but they went through the seasons of life. They didn't sit in a holy huddle waiting for the rapture bus. Okay, people? They didn't sit there saying, when's Jesus coming? When's Jesus coming? We've got all these signs. No, they, they just got on with their lives. They were busy. They went about their everyday lives. Jeremiah, and I'm not taking a knock at anybody, we're not mocking, you know, 
the rapture people because Jesus is coming back. He's coming back for a glorious bride. He is coming back. But we, we can get so caught up in all of that that we miss what's going on in the here and now. And it's important to keep perspective. Jeremiah 29, this is what verses 4 and 6, well-known scripture, says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away into exile from Jerusalem to, to Babylon, this is what God says, build houses, dwell in them, plant gardens and eat their fruit, take wives and beget sons and daughters, there's that beget word again, and Take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased there and not diminished. God is saying, get on with your life, people. He says, build houses. Go back a bit there, Johnny. Build houses. He says, you know what? These are not modern day Taylor Wimpy homes. Okay, just think back. This is going back thousands of years. God says, build houses. You know, they didn't, couldn't phone up uh, or go online and Google some brick delivery, you know, with a crane to sort of lift it off with a nice little roof truss and all this type of thing. No, you go get your own rocks. You know, you go flatten up that, that, that hill over there. You go get your rocks and you build your house. He says, build houses and dwell in them. So in other words, you're going to live in them. You want some furniture, right? There was no IKEA flat packs available at that time. So they had to go and cut down a tree, get some wood, and create some furniture just to make life a little bit easier for them to live in. He says, plant gardens and eat their fruit. They didn't go to, the, to Dobby's garden center or whoever the garden center might be down the road. No, they had to plant their seeds from a seed form. They didn't get a, a tree that's full of fruit. They had to plant their gardens from seed form. You know, the Bible talks about how there is seed time and harvest. Between the seed and the harvest, there's time. There's waiting. You know, you plant that little thing in the ground and you water it and you weed it and you water it and the sun scorches it and winter comes and it freezes, but it keeps growing. It keeps growing. Seed time and harvest. He says, get married. Have children. Then give them away in marriage. That takes time. You know, when you have kids, they grow up, yes, they grow up quickly. But, um, but at some point, they're going to leave home. They're going to get married. They're going to have kids of their own. But it all takes time. And then they will, will have kids of their own. He says, give them away. Marriage takes years. There's a slowness here. You know, what we read, we read there three verses about building houses and dwelling in them. But that takes that could take between 50 to 70 years, that little verse. It could take, it, there's, a slow, there's a slowness about it. There's a waiting, there's a waiting. And it's in the waiting, what are we going to do? Like that song that we sang, that God is the Alpha and the Omega, and he's everything in between. So from between the promise and the fulfillment, what are we going to do? We keep doing what we know to do. Psalm 37, it's not going to go up now, but Psalm 37 says, wait for the Lord and keep his way. Wait for the Lord, keep his way, the ESV says. You know what? It's, it's so, I think, tempting at times when God has made a promise to let go of the promise 
and to wander away, to wander off because, well, I'm not so sure anymore because God hasn't answered the prayer in my timing and the way I'd like it. But we've got to keep his way. It's like that series that Chris spoke on about walking with God. Even in the midst of the, even in the, midst of the storm, in the midst of the trial, stay on track. Keep his ways. Don't, get, don't deviate. Don't get, don't get distracted. Stay on track. God will give you the signpost when it's time to take it. You know, when you're on a motorway, it's clearly marked. God knows how to turn your head. He knows how to get through to you. You know, he's not mystical. He's not, he's not mystical. God can speak to every single one of his children. So it's important that he knows how to, how to speak to us. And I love how that scripture actually finishes in, in Jeremiah 29. It says that you may be increased there and not diminished. Waiting does not diminish you. It increases you. How we wait matters. When you patiently endure, when you do what Abraham did for those 25 years, when you do what the patriarchs did for those up to 2,000 years, they patiently endured. From Abraham's time until the coming of Jesus, there were about 574 prophecies about the coming of the Messiah. What did the guys do when, when they were like, but Lord, when are you coming? When are you coming? When is the Messiah coming? They go to, the, go to that word. If God gives you a word, write it down. Write it down. I don't know how many times we've gone back to words God has given us. Lord, you've given us this word. Because things are not going the way I thought. He's not answered the way I thought he would. The, the timing is all wrong. There's something, we're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting. But you know what? How we wait matters. Go to the word. Go to the word that God has given you. How we wait matters. Waiting well increases you. It doesn't diminish you. In fact, James chapter 1 says, let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. It doesn't mean you're perfect, perfect, but it means you're mature. There's a maturity that comes about in us when we learn to wait well. You know, even in that scripture in Jeremiah 29, Jesus says in verse, God says in verses 10 and 11, for thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you. And God was faithful to that word. He said, I'm giving it 70 years. And he did it. 70 years later, he delivered them from that Babylonian exile. And he goes on, he says, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you thoughts of peace and not of evil, thoughts to give you a future and a hope. But he's telling you, I'm 70 years. It's going to take 70 years. God warns them. And then he watches over that word. 70 years later, he delivers them. God's timing is perfect. You might not think that about your current circumstances, but he's never early and he's never late. Galatians 4.4 says, but when the fullness of time had come, the NIV says, when the set time had fully come, in other words, when the time was right, God sent his, forth his son, born of a woman. There's no male genealogy in Jesus. He's from the father. 
but he, he sent forth his son when the fullness of time had come at the right time. God's timing is perfect. He's never early. He's never late. He's always right on time. There's a scripture in Habakkuk that talks about write the vision down. It says, write the vision down so that when you read it, you may run with it. So if you've got a vision for your life, write the vision down. Keep, your, keep the vision before you. But it goes on and it says, though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. In fact, the ESV says, if it seems slow, wait for it, for it will surely come. It will not delay. So like a pregnant woman is, isn't diminished in the waiting. I know a few of us here have had babies and, 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 and children in the past, but you know what it's like when you're pregnant? You grow. You don't reduce. You get larger, you know, very larger. So a pregnant woman grows while pregnant. Not reduced, not diminished, and it's the same thing. We can be pregnant with the promise that God gives us. Be pregnant with the promise until the fullness of time has come, until God, until God breaks through in our lives, until the fullness of time. There is a fullness of time in the promise that God has promised you. The word that God has given you, there is a fullness of time. God's timing is perfect. Romans 8, verses 24 to 25. I love this in the message. It says, that is why waiting does not diminish us. I like this. Okay, this is good. This is why waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting. We, of course, don't see what is enlarging us. It's patience. Having its perfect work is what's enlarging us. You know, but Lord, I want to see the fulfillment. No, you wait, and you grow, and you grow. He says, we don't see what is enlarging us, but the longer we wait, the larger we become, and the more joyful our expectancy. It's like that babe, it's like that woman who's pregnant. She knows that her delivery date is coming. That's going to be sore. That's going to be painful. But... She's enlarging, and when that day comes, when the nine months is up, there's that joyful expectancy that you're going to give birth to that sweet little baby. <laughs> but, um, but it's true. There's a joyful expectancy in childbirth, isn't there? Didn't know you were going to have this kind of message today. <laughs> Me neither, don't worry. None of it's in my notes. <laughs> So Luke chapter 2, we go, so we've looked at Abraham, how he had to wait all that time, and Luke chapter 2 verses 25 to 29, we're going to look at a guy in the, one of the Gospels, his name is Simeon, Luke 2, 25 to 29, and it says, behold there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout. I love that. I feel like stopping there right now. And say, we don't know how old this guy was, but he'd been waiting. It says he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. This is pre-Pentecost. This is basically Old Testament, even though it's in Luke, the Gospel of Luke, but it's before, before Pentecost. So 
It says there, behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. He was just and devout. I believe that he had been waiting for a long time. He's an old guy, but he's endured. He stayed the course. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. In other words, he was led by the Spirit of God into the temple. And when the parents, that's Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph, brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, this guy Simeon took Jesus up in his arms, blessed God, and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Simeon had been waiting for the consolation of Israel for a number of years. He was a man who'd learned to wait well. He'd had a promise from the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. And the Holy Spirit led him into the temple at the exact same time that Mary and Joseph brought the, brought the child Jesus in and he lifted up his hat, he lifted the child up and blessed him, blessed, um, blessed Jesus. But he says in the, in the message, it says, Simeon is a man who lived in the prayerful expectancy of help for Israel. Simeon had hope. He had hope. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. What does that mean? What's the consolation of Israel? It sounds like some religious thing, but it's not. Consolation means comfort. Simeon was waiting for the comfort of Israel. He was waiting for Israel to be comforted. That word consolation is the Greek word paraklesis. He was waiting for the consolation. He was waiting for the comfort. He was waiting for the paraklesis of Israel. And Jesus speaks about who the parakletos is, the Holy Spirit, is our comforter. Jesus was the first paraclete. He was the comforter. And he said in John 14, he says, I will pray the Father and he will give you another comforter, another helper, another parakletos, that he may abide with you forever. You know what? God's not left us as orphans. In this New Testament church that we're in, he's not left us as orphans. He's not left us comfortless. He's not less, left us desolate and bereaved and forlorn and helpless. No, he's given us his Holy Spirit to comfort us, to strengthen us, to help us. He's our advocate, our standby, everything we have need of. The Holy Spirit indwells us. He is our strengthener. He's our comforter. He will empower us to wait well. We don't have to do this on our own strength. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. Simeon spent his life anticipating Christ's arrival. And he was an example to us of staying faithful to what God had told him. He didn't grow weary of waiting. He didn't waver. 
He didn't falter. He stayed committed. He didn't say, well, God, you told me that I'm not going to die until I see the, until I see the Lord's Christ. But this is getting boring now. I'm going to find the next best thing. Where's the next exciting thing that's going to happen? He stayed faithful. He stayed committed to the cause. He didn't go off to find the next best thing. And we too, we have the Holy Spirit. We can remain faithful to what God has called us because He is faithful. He is faithful. When God's given us a promise, we can, we can, we can be like Simeon who lived that, in that prayerful expectancy that what God has promised, he's going to provide. Don't give up hope. Don't give up hope. Encourage yourself in the Lord. Allow the Holy Spirit to strengthen you. In Genesis chapter 1, you know what we read about the Holy Spirit who hovered over the chaos. Remember, he, the Holy Spirit hovered across the face of the deep, and he turned chaos into order. The same thing today, the Holy Spirit can hover over your turmoil. If you have turmoil in your life, you have a situation that you're struggling with, the Holy Spirit, maybe you've got some inner turmoil, the Holy Spirit can hover over that, over that turmoil, over that darkness, and he can turn it into light. But wait for God, wait for that consolation, wait for that comfort of the Holy Spirit in that relationship. Maybe there's that relationship that's broken down. Maybe there's that person in your family that you're totally separated from. Trust God. Regardless of how long you've been waiting, trust God. He will bring you through it. Don't give up hope. You will see, we sang the song earlier, you will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Trust God, believe him, take him at his word. You know what, those guys had 574 prophecies they held on to. When things were dark, they held on to those prophecies. Hold on to the word that God has given you. Don't let go of it, don't let go of it. Even we sing another song that even when we can't see it, he's working and it's the truth. God is working behind the scenes. You don't know what God is doing in your loved one's life. You don't know what God is doing in that person that you separated from. He's working and he's working. At times we need to recognize God in the situation, what he's doing in the situation. He will deliver you, but sometimes in the meantime, he's doing a work in your life and in my life. Psalm 37 says, wait for the Lord, keep his way. Stay in God's ways. Don't get sidetracked. Don't waver. Be like Abraham. Be like Simeon. Devout and just to the end. Hebrews 10, I'm going to finish with this. Hebrews 10, 23 from the ESV says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful God is faithful if that's one thing take home with you today God is faithful the, the, the passion translation says wrap wrap your heart tightly around the hope that lives within us wrap your heart around that truth that God has given you. Wrap your heart around it. Don't give up. God is faithful to watch over his word to perform it. He is faithful. He is true. He is righteous. 
He is holy. He is just. God is all these things and more. He will watch over his word to perform it. Let's pray.